When Leslie won the fifth city council spot, which city councilor did she replace? Answer at the end of the episode. The citizens of Pawnee. I would like to go on record. Speaking as a citizen of Pawnee. Clothes. Treat yourself. Fragrances. Treat yourself. Massage. Treat yourself. What I said was, give me all the bacon and eggs you have. My mom's Puerto Rican. That's why I'm so lively and colorful. Says you could have network connectivity problems. Jogging is the worst, Chris. I mean, I know it keeps you healthy, but God, at what cost? Dr. Harris, you are literally the meanest person I've ever met. Dad, Gary, Jerry, Larry, Gerbridge, Gingrich. I love you and I like you. I love you and I like you. Hello and welcome to Citizens of Pawnee, a Parks and Recreation podcast where I discuss anything and everything from character breakdowns to episode rewatches, as well as some other trivia and tidbits about the show. My name is Brian and I'll be your host. This is episode number 53 being recorded Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. And today I'm going to be talking about more running jokes and callbacks. I'll also be doing a breakdown of the season five episode, Leslie and Ben. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email citizensofpawnee at gmail.com. You can also follow and message the show on Instagram at citizensofpawneepodcast, as well as my other page at parksrecmemes. Keep those notifications on and follow the Instagram pages for episode info. And just a reminder that this podcast will have full spoilers for the entire series. Let's just go ahead and get into some filler. Everything he's saying is nonsense and he's fooling them. That's right. So if you're new to the show, filler is basically just where I uh, I kind of waste some time and just talk about, uh, I don't know, maybe parks related stuff, maybe not. But uh, so uh, first off, I want to give a shout out to my buddy Phil from Texas. Phil is a listener of the podcast and he reaches out from time to time on the Parks Rec Memes page. Uh, his Houston Astros won the World Series. Congratulations, bud. I'm very happy for you. I'm sure they cheated again. Ha! Just kidding. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure they did it clean this time, so we'll take the asterisks away. But, uh, yeah, no, Houston was awesome this year. I did have a few other players on my fantasy baseball team. I had uh, Justin Verlander and Alex Bregman, and they were both pretty awesome. Also, I had uh, had one of the other pitchers. I forgot who, but anywho. So, uh, yeah, Phil, congrats, buddy. Um Okay, so uh, I guess we do have a little bit of Parks-related stuff here. So Aubrey Plaza is set to appear in the upcoming MCU series, Coven of Chaos, which is a spinoff from WandaVision starring Agatha Harkness, who, if you'll remember, is played by Jen Barkley herself, Catherine Hahn. So April and Jen will be back together again. Um, so I have no idea what the character is or who the character is that uh, Aubrey Plaza is going to be playing, but I am... Uh, <laughs> You know, I'm not going to lie and say, oh, I'm super excited for the show to come out because I am i mean, I'm not like super excited, but I'll watch it. I mean, I, I watch any MCU stuff, but uh, truth be told, like I liked the character of Agatha Harkness on WandaVision, but I definitely don't need to see a spinoff show. And um, <laughs> looks like Disney's doing this with just pretty much anything just to keep throwing content out there. Like uh, Echo from the Hawkeye series is getting a spinoff show like, OK. Uh, and then Ironheart will be getting a show who we're, I guess we meet her in the upcoming Black Panther movie, which comes out in a few days on the 11th. Very excited about that. But um, yeah, so uh, Aubrey Plaza set to appear in the MCU. Uh, speaking of Aubrey Plaza, I just realized when I was uh, 
kind of looking at the the notes from last episode and whatnot, I uh, realized that I forgot April's quote uh, for last last episode, which was uh, the quotes episode. So that's kind of embarrassing. So um, here is her quote, and it's basically it's just to set it up. She is having a conversation with her uh, doppelganger from Eagleton, who is Tinnifer. This is the episode Doppelgangers, which is season six, episode four. And uh, April basically just says this about Tinnifer. She's the worst person I've ever met. I want to travel the world with her. Yeah. So that is April's quote. And uh, it's basically just after Tinnifer talks for a few minutes about how, uh, well, Tinnifer is basically just like an awful human. So. Um, yeah, that was, uh, the quote that everyone liked. So, uh, that's all the filler I got for you. So let's just go ahead and get this episode started. And we're going to jump into, uh, the first, uh, the first segment here, which is the review for season five, episode 14, Leslie and Ben. Alrighty. So we start off with a previously on Parks and Rec because this is, Basically like the back end of a double episode. However, they're not considered parts one and two. They just uh, they just kind of run together. So uh, we get the previously on Parks and Rec and the Parks Department is holding a gala and Ben gets super caught up in the moment and he decides that he wants to marry Leslie that night. So the two of them kind of talk about it and they just decide, yeah, hey, we're going to get married tonight. So the cold open of this show basically is that it's like the previously on parks and rec so we get that and then it's kind of cool because like where the last episode ends it just keeps rolling here so it's like a seamless transition into this episode which was awesome uh, i thought it was very cool uh so we start off with leslie and ben and they're contemplating whether or not they want to if they actually want to do this if they want to get married tonight without their parents and families there uh they decide they decide to just go ahead and do it and there's a really funny part with ben um, he asks, or actually he kind of tells Leslie, he's like, well, Hey, uh, we, we haven't really talked about this yet, but I, I wanted to discuss you taking my last name. And he goes through and he starts giving all these different scenarios that are kind of like condescending about her taking his last name. Like you could be, you know, like Mrs. Leslie Wyatt, or, you know, if you'd like to be Mrs. Ben Wyatt, the first or whatever it is, but like, you can see he starts to kind of smile and look at the camera and Leslie's actually getting very confused. And she's like, Oh, well I, uh, okay. Yeah. Because she didn't want to do that. She wanted to keep her own name. And then sure enough, she's just like, are you joking with me? And he's like, yeah, I had to, sorry. So it was actually really funny because even the first time I saw it was kind of like, Oh wow. Okay. I guess they haven't talked about this. Um, so one of the things I like about this episode is that really it only takes place over a few hours because again, it starts off uh, from the gala from the previous episode, and they plan on getting married at 11 p.m. once the gala ends. So uh, Leslie starts handing out duties for the rest of the group, like what they're supposed to be doing. So Anne is on dress duty. Chris is taking care of the rings. Andy and April, marriage license. Ron will be walking Leslie down the aisle. Tom needs to get ordained online so he can officiate the wedding. And then Jerry and Donna are basically just going to maintain the gala. So we uh, next scene, we go to uh, Ben and Chris are at a pawn shop. That's the first place they go to look for rings. And it is the pawn shop owned by Herman Lurpus, who is uh, the, <laughs> I guess he's the patriarch of the Lurpus family, at least that we have here. He's the guy we talk about all the time he's always same outfit every time you see him blue jeans 
uh, black wife beater. And um, yeah, he's got all the tattoos and everything. So they they ask him, they're just like, hey, we're looking for wedding rings. He's like, oh, you're going to want to look in this basket. And he pulls it out. And he's like, that's that's the basket that's got rings and and nails. <laughs> so it's literally like they're at a pawn shop and like you can buy nails out of this bin if you'd like, uh, along with rings. So uh, they end up not buying anything from there because one of the ones Chris pulls out, he's like, oh, these are pretty nice. And the guy's like, oh, those are nipple rings. It's like, how do you know that? Oh, they're his. Yep. they're." His. And then they just drop the rings and they just leave. Uh, Andy and April, they are back at city hall. They find the marriage licenses. They are complete idiots though, because they literally just find the marriage licenses, but they're not signed or anything. So April just feels like if she has them, then that's good enough. She ends up taking all of them too, because she doesn't want anyone else to get married after Leslie and Ben, because she wants, well, she'll do them the favor, but really she doesn't want anyone else in the world married besides her and Andy. Uh, so uh, at this point in the episode, Leslie is panicking. Like the dress is kind of like the dress. It was clearly they're not getting married for another three months. So the dress wasn't ready. So she's kind of worried about that. And Anne assures her, don't worry, you know, I'll figure something out. The, the dress is going to look great. Uh, the marriage license not being signed. And then Ben and Chris having no luck with the rings. Uh, again, Leslie's just kind of starting to panic a little bit. So uh, we get, we're back at the gala now. And a really, really funny scene here where uh, Jerry and Donna are talking and Jerry lets us know how excited he is about everything that's going on. Indiana celebrity lookalikes. I mean, this is a brilliant idea, Donna. All my favorites are here. We got Over Redenbacher, Latoya Jackson, Axl Rose, David Letterman. Look, don't tell anyone, but I booked a special surprise. There's a little Sebastian lookalike on the way. What? What? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Mm. Did you spare pants? Just a dab. I better go clean up. Nasty, Jerry. I always love that one, just uh, mostly because of Donna's response at the end. Just the, you nasty, Jerry. But then the next scene, which I cut off, obviously, but it's hilarious. It shows Jerry walking into the house. And the, the cool thing about this episode, like their kind of base of operations is at Anne's house because the gala is right next door in lot 48 where, you know, the pit used to be. So even I, like I, when I remember the first time I watched this, it's like, how are they seamlessly getting back and forth so quickly? Like, and then it's like, oh, they're literally just coming from next door from Anne's house. But anyway uh jerry walks into ann's house and just kind of you hear him he's like oh it's the third time this week so he's peed his pants three times this week awesome all right uh so again we're back at the house uh tom is whining uh, because that's what he does but now he's whining because he can't get ordained in time because he finds a website that will do it however it says it's a 24-hour waiting period but they need to they're getting married in like two hours so um he's pretty upset about that so you find out that Jerry is actually an ordained minister because why not? Because Jerry's like the most amazing person in Pawnee and has all this, <laughs> this great stuff about him that we just keep finding out. So what they uh, they decide they're going to do is that Jerry, Tom will write out the speech basically. And Jerry is just going to read everything that Tom says. However, he'll be able to do it because he's actually ordained. Okay. Um, suddenly, uh, outside it starts snowing and this is right when Ben and Leslie meet up. It's about halfway through the episode and same thing. They're both kind of like, ah, I don't know if this is working out too well, you know, and it's funny how they're doing it. Cause they, they've already seen each other, but they still don't want to see each other like before the wedding. So they're, they're walking backwards towards each other and they finally, you know, their backs butt up against each other. 
And, you know, Leslie, and she's saying, no, you know, this is bad. This isn't working. Maybe we should re, you know, rethink this, redo it, whatever. And again, it starts snowing right then. So it's like kind of like a nice moment. And Ben looks over and he's just in shock. You can't see what he's looking at. Then they show across the street, Lil Sebastian standing there. And he's just like, what the hell? So Leslie looks over and they're both just, their jaws drop. They're like, Lil Sebastian, because Lil Sebastian's dead at this point. He died in episode three, um, uh, season three, episode 16, Lil Sebastian. But they find out, you know, so you see a guy come walking over actually and just like, oh, no, 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 that's not Lil Sebastian. Um, it, it's like Lil Sebastian's handler. And you find out that this horse that he's got, his name is Bucky. So he's like, no, 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 it's Bucky. And he's taking him over to the celebrity, you know, gala. This is the one that Donna was talking about, the the Lil Sebastian celebrity lookalike. Clearly, he's a very good lookalike because Ben and Leslie were very fooled. So he tells him the horse's name is Bucky. And Leslie's basically like, no, shut up. It's Lil Sebastian because they just want to keep this wonderful moment going. So it's got to be a sign, right? All right. So uh, we cut to Andy and April who go over to Ethel Beaver's house because they need her to sign the marriage license. They should have just done this in the first place, but they're morons. So I love this. She's actually having a nightcap with some dude because she comes and answers the door and it's like 10 o'clock or actually you don't know the time yet, but she's like, oh, I've been asleep for four hours. And she says that they went to sleep at like 630. So yeah, it's got to be about 10, 1030. So they ask her to, you know, to, if she can sign this thing. They're like, oh, we, we think you know Leslie and Ben, right? You know them. And she's like, yeah, they made me annoyingly read off the, the deposition to, to each other just so they could say that they love uh, each other. And that's right after uh, my favorite episode, which is uh, Smallest Park, the one right after that when they are busted, basically, for their, their uh, relationship. And Ethel is the one, she's like the court stenographer, I think that's what it's called. I'm not sure if it's not, I apologize, you know what I'm talking about. But she basically just types everything that everyone's saying, so it's there for the, the records. So she actually, uh, uh, Ben on his transcript had said that he loved Leslie, so Leslie wanted to kind of like return the favor. So she did the same thing, and then she made... Ethel come with her to Ben's house so that Ethel could read this stuff. And Ethel was like super pissed off because it was like cold and late, probably way past her bedtime. But yeah, so she's like, uh, they made me gum with so they could profess their love to each other. It was really annoying. But anyway, what's great about this part is a dude walks by in the background. He's like, Ethel, who's at the door? And she's like, don't worry about it. Just go back to sleep. So I never noticed this until watching this episode right now for this podcast the guy who's in the background that uh, is having the nightcap with Ethel, he is the same guy from season five, episode four, Sex Education. And this is the one when Leslie's given the big speech to all the elderly folks. And she does a part, there's a part where she asks, what are your biggest fears, you know, about having sex? And they go through a few of them. And then the, finally, the last one is a guy that's just like, fear that your partner dies on top of you. It's the same guy. I love this because like I actually, when I uh, watching this one, Leslie and Ben, it was like, oh my God, wait, I think that's the dude. So sure enough, I IMD beat it and he is in both of those episodes. So I thought that was pretty awesome. Plus this show just does such an awesome job of like bringing characters back. And I forgot to say this, I should have said it in filler, totally unrelated to this episode, but I finally, finally got my wife to start watching Parks and Rec with me. She did. I, I can't remember if I said this on the last episode or not. It's been like a month, but 
Um, she's we started on season three because I just happened to be watching it and she's like, you know what? So she just sat down and started watching and it was like season three, episode two. And then later she's like, okay, you know what? I, I, I'm not going to sit down with you every night and watch this, but I'd, I'd like to, you know, actually watch this show. So we'll get through it slowly, but surely yesterday we watched like another like four or five episodes, but I told her, you know, starting at season three, you got Chris and Ben, this is pretty much where they're starting off. And like, you don't have to worry about Mark Brendanowitz, who again, I like, but most people don't. And um, yeah, so it's pretty exciting finally getting her to watch. But I, I keep pointing things out, you know, with with my uh, with my uh, obsession. And I, I'm just like, oh, you'll see that guy again. Or, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, you don't know that guy because he was. Oh, and that's Sewage Joe. And, uh, you know, that's by uh, Kirk Fox. He's a really funny comedian. You, you, you don't don't worry. Like, you, you'll see more of him. So she's already like, oh, God, she's probably regretting uh, watching this with me. So sorry. Um to sidetrack there. So uh, we cut to Ben and Chris who are still having no luck with the rings. And then Ron comes in and he's just like, he says that he'll take care of the rings and they're in Ann's house. And there's a sconce on the wall right next to him. And he's just like, you think Ann will miss this? And he just rips it out of the wall. <laughs> you know, it's like Chris and Ben are just like, oh, okay, I, I hope she doesn't miss that. So uh, so now we're back at the gala and Donna uh, announces to the whole uh, like the the whole gala. Basically, she's like, well, all right. So the, the gala is going to be wrapping up in about an hour. However, there's a special surprise wedding that's going to be happening, happening right when this ends. All food and drinks will be taken care of. So it's pretty awesome, actually. Like everyone's cheering. Everyone's all excited about it. Um, However, there is one problem, and that problem is a very drunk Jeremy Jam who's walking around with a microphone or a megaphone, sorry, and he's basically just like talking shit about Leslie. You know, it's boo, boo, uh, this girl is stupid. Because, you know, Jam's still pissed off that they're having the thing on lot 48 because he's been screwed over. Well, I'd say screwed over. That's what he would say, but it's actually just been in all fairness. He's just been kind of a slime ball about lot 48. So whenever Leslie does anything to get him back, he always feels like, he's being cheated or like, you know, like she's, she's playing unfairly or whatever. So, um, we do have, uh, uh, well, since we're going to be talking about running jokes anyway, this is one that happens in this episode. And so during this scene, when jams like talking to shit, Leslie, of course, she grabs the microphone or the, I keep saying microphone. She grabs the megaphone from jam and just starts being immature. Like he is like, she's like, eh, like yelling shit back at him. And of course she has to run into councilman Hauser who is, and, and that was, that's what was funny when I was, it, was, it might've been like his first episode or no, no, it wasn't his first one, but one of the earlier ones where, uh, yeah, I've, uh, God, I can't remember what was happening, but sure enough, you know, Leslie was doing something stupid and he comes in and it's always the Miss Nope. It's like Councilman Hauser, you know, and she's always embarrassed. And it's like, he never, he doesn't care. That's the, the thing that's funny. Like he gives her like a disapproving look every time, but it's not like it ever goes anywhere. Like he tells on her, or like thinks less of her. So uh, love that one. All right. So we cut over to Ben and Chris um, and there's a really good conversation between them where Ben actually, or I'm sorry, Chris for like his wedding gift, he gives to Ben and it's a framed audit sheet from like the first or no, no I'm sorry. It's a framed letter from their boss, the one that originally was sent out to them telling them that they were going to have to like that their assignment was Pawnee. So just a really great speech. And Chris just telling Ben how proud he is of him. And he gives him the thing, you know, and it's just it's a really awesome scene. So um, 
we find out at the house that what Anne's been working on with this dress is that she added a bunch of newspaper clippings just throughout, you know, because like Leslie is seemingly always in the middle of something. So all the, all the newspaper headlines about her and then just things like little Sebastian and other great things that happen in Pawnee. And it looks awesome. The dress looks great. So Anne did a really good job with that. All right. So now the wedding starts. Uh, Jam is still drunk. He's booing, still doing his thing with the microphone. Megaphone. And he's actually to the point where he is throwing fart bombs. And I, I don't know if any of you have ever been in the presence of a fart bomb. They're awful. So in this episode where he throws down two of them, I find it hard to... Then again, though, I mean, like the episode, it kind of cuts away shortly after this because after he throws down the second fart bomb... Uh, Ron confronts him and actually Ben's like about to step forward. Ron holds him back. He's like, no, nah, don't worry. It's your wedding day. I'll take care of this. So he just tells Jam politely. He's like, all right, let's get out of here. You're going to go. And Jam starts like kind of like pushing Ron a little bit. Gets his, you know, kind of pointing his finger in his face. And Ron tells him, he's like, if you touch me one more time, or he's like, that, that, that was a freebie. He's like, do it again. And, you know, I forgot exactly what he says. But Jam's just like, oh, yeah, you think so? What are you going to do? And he shoves him again. And then Ron just punches him right in the face. It's so amazing. It's like just how quickly he does it. And you can kind of see like Jam's hair shake a little bit. So it's just amazing. It's such a great punch. So they end up both going to uh, the clink overnight. However, they get in there and jam. He's like missing a tooth. So he's he's still drunk too. And he's just like, oh man, you knocked out my tooth. You know, just being a baby. So Anne comes in and she tells Ron that he's been bailed out. So um, you also find out in this scene actually, because all the, the parks department are at the, the precinct, you know, trying to get Ron out. And this was when Andy was uh, in the process of trying to be a police officer. He was going through taking all the tests and everything. And you find out here that he actually failed the police test, which was a total bummer because he passed like the written exam and everything. But the basically the lie detector test, he was just such an idiot and he failed. So they, they can't take him on as an officer. So it was kind of sad, actually, for him to find out that way, because I guess uh, yeah, the, the police officer, the, the chief, he had already talked to Chris a couple episodes earlier telling him that Andy didn't make it. So then when Andy and April are super excited to see the guy, he's like, did you not talk to Chris Traeger? It's like, oh, crap. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, we're back at City Hall and Ron, uh, all of a sudden, like you see Ron and Ron and Leslie are walking down the hallway by themselves. And Ron just stops and he starts kind of complimenting Leslie, like unexpectedly, you know, obviously Ron is a great guy. He's Leslie's good friend, but he doesn't do things like that very often. He's very, you know, to himself and whatnot. So for him to just start showering Leslie with compliments, you kind of know something's up. So then he just puts his arm out next to her, like for her to hold on to. And I love Leslie's response. She's just like, oh, boy. Because she like she doesn't know, but now she does like what's going on and why Ron's being so nice to her because he is walking her into the parks department where they have set up just it, it looks great in there with all the candles and everything. So they are going to have the wedding in the parks department. So it is just uh, Leslie, Ben and the rest of the, the crew. It's awesome. Even champions there, uh, the, the three legged dog. It's awesome. So Ben and Leslie give their amazing vows. And what's great here is that Leslie, fortunately for us and for the rest of the group, she forgot her vows at home, which she said clocked in at about 70 pages. <laughs> so like, it's just awesome. Everyone, she's like, oh, maybe I should go home and get them. They're all like, no, 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 no. She's like, okay, all right, fine, fine. That's what. 
And um, you get another one of the classic lines between Ben and Leslie, which is, I love you and I like you. And they, they always both say it right back to each other. And then they get married. So Andy is super bummed at this point about not getting the police job. And he's talking to April and he actually has a really good take on horseshoes and hand grenades. Close only counts in horse grenades. What? It's a saying because if you're playing horseshoes and then you throw a grenade at a horse, it doesn't have to be that close and you can still blow the horse's legs off. It's from the movie Seabiscuit. I haven't seen that version of Seabiscuit, but it's probably like a director's cut or something. So that'd be pretty sweet. So um, Leslie and Ben are now married and Andy pulls out his guitar and the whole group sings 5,000 Candles in the Wind. Bye-bye, little Sebastian. Oh, God. I love like this scene, too, like with the wedding and everything. And then just like how awesome it is with the whole uh, the whole group singing along. And Donna also doing Donna's actually starts the singing. She's got a very, very nice voice. So kind of cool. Uh, so we get a shot of Leslie and Ben talking underneath the wildflower mural, which, again, this was one of my another one of my favorite. Like, it's not a single scene, but it's actually three different parts. But it's from the episode Soulmates when. Leslie uh, is is filling out the online dating profile and Anne asks her, what's your favorite place in the world? And Anne tells her the wildflower mural in City Hall and she likes to sit under. And then later in that episode, Ben comes up and Leslie's like, hey, you want to talk about some ideas? You want to go somewhere else? He's like, yeah, sure. There's a, a mural, a wildflower mural that I love to sit underneath. And, you know, she just has that smile on her face like, I love this man so much. I want to jump his bones. But yeah, let's do that. Let's talk under the wildflower mural. So um, they that that's it just shows like a quick scene of them kind of talking and it, it's really awesome. So that's uh, that's the end of the episode. We do have a tag, though, and the tag shows us how Ron made the, the rings, which is just such an awesome part because when he ripped the sconce off the wall, and I'm going to forget a little bit about it, but he talks about it like it was such an easy process. Like he he took the sconce off. He had to melt melt it down. Then he had to like blow, blow torch the rings. Uh, he used a waffle iron to get the shape for the rings and then kind of like put it on a pole and started hammering it out, you know, just to, but it's so good. And then he had to buff it too. And he's like, whole thing took me about 20 minutes. People who buy things are stupid. So it's just, uh, again, it's so funny watching the process he did. Like this would take any regular human days to do. And there's no way this took Ron 20 minutes, but it's still just awesome to hear because like him in like, yeah, I'll make the damn rings. So, uh, so that is uh, the episode Leslie and Ben season five, episode 14. Very good episode. So now we will move into our next segment, which as I said before, more running jokes slash callbacks. So if you'll recall back in episode 46 of this podcast, I listed off my favorite running jokes. But even after going back and listening to that episode, I realized like, and again, I, I listed, I think at least 20 different running jokes there. I still had a lot more. So I uh, just decided, you know what, I'm going to talk about the ones that I didn't get to talk about on that episode. So if you haven't listened to episode 46, go ahead and uh, listen to that one. If you want to hear other great running jokes slash callbacks like Burt Macklin, Duke Silver, uh, Leslie always complimenting Anne, Ben's irrational fear of police officers, Jerry's many talents, things like that. So 
All right, let's move on to part two of our list. So here we go, and this is in no particular order, not like, oh, I list them, ranked them my favorite. This one doesn't have as many because I listed so many in the last one, but here we go. So uh, the first one is Ron X, uh, Ron's ex-wives. So we know that Ron was married three times. However, he was only married to two different women, but Tammy too, he married twice and divorced her both times as well. And then he was also married to Patricia Clarkson, who is Tammy one. Uh, this, you know, like it, it, we more so we see Tammy too as like a recurring character, but we hear Ron talk about his wives so many times throughout this show. So I just love the consistency there. And Obviously, there are times throughout where him and Tammy start getting along. I mean, geez, they even get married again. But Ron always comes to his senses and realizes that she is truly awful for him. So, uh, yeah, Ron's ex-wives. All right, here is the next one. Kyle is even more pathetic than Jerry. So Kyle, again, is the guy who works at uh, City Hall. And he's the guy that is always at the shoeshine station with Andy. So... Uh, we first, we, in the episode where Ron has basically an orgasm after Andy rubs his feet <laughs> when he's giving him the shoe shine. Uh, this is one of the first times we see Kyle and basically he's just standing in line and Ron cuts in front of him. And then when Ron's done with his shoe shine, he, Andy comes up to, uh, Andy's like, all right, come on, Kyle. And Kyle's like, you know, you shouldn't let your friends cut in front of you. And Andy just keeps grabbing his briefcase and just throwing it down the hallway. So he like goes and grabs it and comes over and he's like, well, what I was saying is that it's really unprofessional for you. To, and Andy just grabs it again and just chucks it down the hallway. <laughs> um, he also sat in the chair after Andy covered it in shoe polish. And just, yeah, one of the episodes when Andy was super bored, uh, he decided to, yeah, just uh, cover the chair in shoe polish. And then he was talking to April or someone else, I forgot. And he turned back and Kyle was already sitting in the chair. And he's just like, oh, God. So he gets up and he's like, hey, uh, Kyle, were you sitting in a weird painted chair or something from earlier? And Kyle can't see, you know, the, the paint all over his butt. He's like, no. And he's like, oh, okay, never mind. So yeah, um, he also, and this is the, the big one when I said like he's even more pathetic than Jerry. So in the episode where they do the burger cook-off in the, the courtyard when it's Ron versus Chris. So Chris has like a nice table set up and I believe it's, uh, it's Tom, Jerry, Kyle, and Donna. And they're the taste testers. So they're tasting Chris's burger and it's a, a turkey burger with just chutney and everything. And it's all delicious. And Kyle makes a comment about it. And Jerry's like, don't be so pretentious, Kyle. Like, so it's the only time you actually see Jerry like, well, no, not really, because he he blows up. He gets mad at Tom in uh, the Harvest Festival episode when Tom lets little Sebastian out. But this is the first time you actually see him like talking down to someone like shut up like you know telling him that you know like no one cares what you have to say kyle so yeah that's the the kyle has got to be the one person in pawnee that is uh like i said more pathetic than jerry uh also you see uh, the, the scene when you come up and you see andy just like laughing hysterically and april walks up right behind and she's like what's going on and he's like he andy says to kyle he's like tell her tell her what you tell her what you just told me. He's like, my identity was stolen. I have to change all my credit cards. And Andy's just dying laughing, like hysterically. It's so good. And April just doesn't give a shit. She's just like, bye, Kyle. Just like, get the hell out of here. Um, all right. So then 
also later on in uh, the the episode where April writes a bad review for Donna because April becomes Donna's boss and Donna is just kind of, hey, well, she's basically treating April like her friend and not her boss. So she's she's showing up late to work. She just keeps leaving whenever she wants and like leaving notes, like be back in two hours, went shopping, you know? So April passive aggressively to get back at her, she just writes her a bad review on the, the, the website, like the park's website. So Donna knows it's April, but what she does is she has Kyle come in and this isn't planned. So it's like, she knows what she's doing, but Kyle doesn't. She just tells Kyle you're fired. And he's like, for what? You know? And she's like, I know it was you who wrote the reviews about me. You're fired. And Kyle's just like, you're not my boss. You can't fire me. She's like, get out fired so he ends up leaving the room but it is still like just kind of pathetic that someone who is not his boss at all is just talking down to him and he's just like "Mm, okay well whatever like it's good that he actually says that back to her you know you're not my boss so like i don't care what (laughs) um all right uh and then we uh later yeah way later uh in the series we find out uh that kyle's wife is cheating on him and that he actually knows about it because andy tells everyone (laughs) it's so good because he says it and then kyle's just like oh not cool andy and you can tell actually andy did do it on accident but i'd like to see i I wish we could have seen a little more of just andy and kyle just because kyle was at the shoeshine stand so much it would have been awesome to just see the interactions between them two because while Andy's still like a doofus and him laughing about Kyle's identity being stolen, you know that that's kind of like harmless. Like it's not him actually laughing at uh, Kyle's misfortune. It's him laughing probably when he told him his identity was stolen. Andy probably totally misconstruing that and thinking like a burglar stole his identity, you know, something like that, which is true. I mean, but you know, knowing Andy, he probably thinks like someone physically broke into his house and stole like his identity, you know, like, so um, yeah, I'd like to think that they they probably have like a little bit of a better relationship, maybe just not when other people are around, you know, because Andy maybe is just like, oh, well, you know, everyone else hates Kyle. So, okay, uh, next, the Shania Twain custodian. Now, this is one of my favorite ones. And I, I know I, I always say that so much on this show, uh, on this podcast, like this is one of my favorites. These things truly are, and I have so many favorite different little you know, whatever is about the show, but the Shania Twain custodian, we see him the first time in season three, episode 16, little Sebastian. And that is when you find out that little Sebastian passed away. So they're doing a moment of silence for him in the parks department. And then all of a sudden you just hear a rolling garbage uh, can. So the custodian's coming in and he's got an old school Walkman uh, on his belt buckle, like one of the yellow ones, those old Sony uh, Walkmans. And it's just the the Shania Twain song, the the best part about being a woman, you know, the oh, 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 go totally get that one. I sang way too much of that, but I, I have a good voice. Yeah. So that song is playing and it's a good like 10, 15 seconds. So like the parks department, they, they, they all had their eyes closed. Like I said, they were doing a moment of silence. They start like looking up and looking around like, what the hell? And then finally, Leslie just like grabs the garbage can from him. She's like, ah, we got it. We're good. You know, so it was it was awesome then. And then way down the, the road in season seven, <clears throat> episode four, Leslie and Ron, the one where they are fighting, where they get trapped or not trapped. They get locked inside of the parks department by the other uh, 
the rest of the, the parks department. So it's, it's planned, but they can't get out. They're trying to figure out how to do it. And then, you know, like with the courtyard in the middle, we could always see through the courtyard into the other offices. Like Mark Brandanowitz had a, an office on the other side of the courtyard that like Ron could look through. So they're looking through and it's like that. And you see the custodian. I don't think it is the same actor, but I do believe he's obviously, I would think he's playing the same character because same exact thing. He's dusting though, but he's got the same Walkman on the, the yellow Sony one. And it's the same exact song. Uh, uh, uh. It's I, I remember when I saw that for the first time, it was like, Oh my God. I was so excited to hear that because it was just such a good, like, who of the writing staff was like, you know who we should bring back? That guy that from season three that was listening to Shania Twain. And it's so good because it's just like an older, you know, like gruff looking kind of guy that you wouldn't expect to be listening to Shania Twain. So it's so awesome. All right. Uh, the next running joke, Donna's crazy family. So we find out that Donna's cousin is genuine, which is just... When we find that out in the episode when everyone gets to, it's, uh, it's uh, Jerry's uh, Sweet 16 birthday party when they go to Donna's family's uh, lake house, there's pictures on the wall of Genuine, the rapper, uh, like in the gold records and whatnot. So Tom is like, what the hell? You know, like, why do you have all these pictures of Genuine? You find out Genuine's her cousin. So it's just kind of like, all right, cool, kind of a passing thing. And then uh, uh, the finale, uh, episode six, season six uh, finale, moving up, Genuine actually performs on stage and it's awesome because it's like, oh, there he is. Like, again, they just, they're so good with like following these things up. And another example of that is uh, because one of the episodes I was watching last night with my wife, I think it was April and Andy's wedding. Oren is in that episode for the, I believe it's the first time because yeah, Leslie comes in and she's like, Hey guys, just so you know, April's friend Oren is here and he's really intense and creepy. However, Oren was actually mentioned in like season two, either season two or one, but one of the earlier ones, April talks about her friend Oren. So then they stuck with it. It's like, Oh, Hey, well, April talked about that guy, Oren, let's bring him in. So it's just like Donna here telling us, my cousin's genuine. It's like, all right, hey, let's prove it to everyone. So he's actually in the episode. It's great. And he's in two episodes because he is also at uh, Donna and Joe's wedding and he's being picked on by his cousin, which is great. <laughs> one of, one of, another one of my favorite scenes is because April takes Donna's, and this is more kind of with, yeah, her, her crazy family. When Donna is talking to April and she's like, you know what? There's not as much drama at the wedding as I, I kind of hope there, there would be. And April's like, oh no, everything's fine. I got it all taken care of. And it cuts over to a scene with April just yelling at like nine people that are all part of Donna's families. Like some of them are older, some are, some, some are white, some are, are, are Asian, some are black. I mean, it's just hilarious like that too, like with her family, just the, the diversity, which is awesome. But April's like yelling at all of them. And then Genuine just is, is crying because April snaps on him, you know, and she's like, I don't care. So good. Um, uh, speaking of Donna's wedding, just the numerous fights that happen there, not like fist fights, but there's one where you see two of her. And again, I don't know if it's like a brother and a cousin or just more cousins, but we'll just say two of her uh, family members, two, two younger guys. They're talking about a dig dug game. And how, oh yeah, well, that's weird that the game got unplugged when I was about to get the high score. So it's, 
it's great because there's an earlier episode where Donna talks about how her family holds grudges. I'll get to that one in just a second. But then also at her wedding, her brother Lavandrius shows up at the very end. And Lavandrius is played by Questlove, um, the Roots drummer. He's also the drummer on Jimmy Kimmel's show. It is the Roots, right? Yeah. Or Tribe. I think it's the Roots. We'll say we'll say the Roots. And uh, he shows up and all of a sudden he's holding this big, like old school popcorn machine, probably from like the 70s. And so I guess like Lavandrius and Donna had a thing going for like probably their whole lives because this is from childhood. And he just throws the thing down and he's like, now nobody gets any popcorn. And it it's so funny because it's such an old school microwave that it actually shatters like the glass. And they're like, ones now would probably like spider web crack. But I mean, like this one's like, like it looks so funny. Um, all right, what else we got? Oh, she tells us that her Grammy Meagle died at the age of 80, sandwiched between two 30-year-olds. Awesome. That's some great longevity there, by the way. Um, oh, yeah, back to this. So this is what I was talking about with uh, her family being holding all the grudges. Her grandpa wrote her cousin Winnie out of his will because she didn't use a coaster. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, I always love that one. Um, also, when, uh, like I was just talking about before, when they go to Donna's lake house, just the, the rules that they have. So it's like they're very just strict, her family too. Uh, no food, bring your own towels, like weird stuff like that. And then she also tells us that no more than two meagles are allowed on an international flight at the same time. I, again, it's just, and there's another one about Donna actually, which I'll get to in a little bit because uh, I don't want to just talk about her for 30 minutes straight. Uh, but yeah, more about Donna coming up. So the next one we have, and there's a lot here. I'm more so just going to list some of these. Um, <clears throat> but knowing me, I'll, I'll talk about them. So uh, this is the puns and wordplay from the show. One of my absolute favorite things about this show is just the creativity with the writing. So first off, I'm going to start with some of the businesses of Pawnee. You've got Scientologist. Jurassic Fork, Tots All, folks, Schindler's Lunch, Wheels for Meals on Wheels, which is uh, a repair company that goes around and repairs uh, Meals on Wheels vans. So it's Wheels for Meals on Wheels. Great. Uh, Grain and Simple, which is kind of stupid on my behalf because I just realized that yesterday that Grain and Simple is a play on Plain and Simple. I've literally literally never thought of that watching this show so many times because it was always like food and stuff, grain and simple, grain and simple. And it's like, what's funny about grain and simple? Oh, now food and stuff. I'm pretty sure it's just those two words. There's no pun there, but grain and simple, plain and simple. You're an idiot, Brian. Um, <clears throat> Ace Tentura, Tent Detective, and then also Rent a Tent Tent, which was uh, owned by that slime bag guy that uh, they ended up busting him for like corruption and they ended up getting all the tents. That was great. Okay. Uh, some other puns and wordplay, the purd pulls court, obviously the people's court. Uh, and that's purd Hapley's show in season seven where they're, uh, where they, uh, what is it? It's Leslie versus grizzle. And I love what I love about that is that it keeps saying anytime they say judge at the bottom of the screen, like the disclaimer pops up, not an actual judge, but Purd keeps making people call him judge, even though he's not a real judge. Um, uh, womb, there it is, which is a pregnancy test that Leslie uh, takes and then also tells her that she is pregnant with triplets. Uh, the fart attack, 
This is when Jerry is, uh, well, uh, sorry, Leslie and Anne are trying to scare the the crap out of Tom because he went into a bathroom. And so when the door opens up, they yell loudly, but it just happens to be Jerry. He has a heart attack and he starts farting uncontrollably as this is happening. So when they're at the, the hospital, Tom is really trying to get Dr. Harris to call it a fart attack, but he won't. Uh, Game of Jones, which is the, the book by Joan Calamezzo. Game of Thrones, obviously. Uh, the very popular Murinal, which uh, is obviously a cross between a mural and a urinal. And that's what Jerry makes. But he calls it his Murinal. And of course, no one takes it seriously. And he gets booed off stage. And uh, perverts, who are the fans of the Perd Happily show, or just Perd Happily in general, uh, Okay, and then some of my favorite, just uh, these are more like plays on words. Well, which is, I guess, what puns are anyway. So uh, the newspaper articles, Ice Town costs Ice Clown his town crown. That's my favorite one, just because it is, you know, Ben is just like, he's like, yeah, they really loved uh, wordplay there, which is funny because apparently Partridge, Minnesota and Pawnee, Indiana have that in common because Pawnee's got plenty of them, including Nope Grope is Last Hope which is when the the former city manager, Paul Iresco, had uh, a heart attack on stage and used Leslie's, uh, or he had a stroke, or no, no, it was a heart attack. And he had an octuple bypass surgery. Uh, but anyway, so uh, yeah, as he's like kind of keeling over, he puts his hand on Leslie's boob and uses it for support. So yeah, nope, grope is last hope. Uh, Honolulu loser. And that is about Bobby Newport because this is when the election's going on or um, like the the race and he's nowhere to be found. So they know he's in Hawaii somewhere. But yeah, I just love Honolulu loser. Uh, and then so the tax, <clears throat> which is, of course, uh, during the time when Leslie is uh, trying to uh, get the soda tax passed because it's ridiculous, you know, like how. Yeah. So anyway. All right. Our next. <clears throat> Excuse me. Our next running joke, Dr. Richard Nygaard. This one is great because it is kind of like Mayor Gunderson. However, we do get to see Mayor Gunderson in the, what is it? It's like the second to last. Yeah, the penultimate episode. So yeah, uh, Mayor Gunderson is a character that is talked about many times throughout the show. You hear about his dog Rufus all the time too. And then in that episode I was just talking about, you do find out that Mayor Gunderson is Bill Murray, which is great. Obviously, he's it's not like, oh, Mayor Gunderson's Bill Murray, like Bill Murray's playing him. But so that that's what's so great about it. It was just like an amazing cameo just to, and he had no speaking lines or no, no, that's that's not true. I'm sorry. He did uh, have uh, like a, a last will and testament video just basically telling everyone, hey, um, whatever is wrong with this town is not my fault. Um, you know, so, so anyway, kind of got off tra- topic there. Dr. Richard Nygaard is another character that is talked about many times throughout the series. However, we never actually see him. And there's no like resolution here. Like we never see this guy. We do see, or we do find out though, that he does have other patients. So Dr. Richard Nygaard is Chris Traeger's therapist. And it gets to a point because Chris, such a great character, so upbeat, so happy about everything. However, the smallest, slightest things just make him snap, you know, and like go into like a craze, you know, when he has tendonitis and he thinks he's dying from it, things like that. So he eventually gets to a point where he is seeing Dr. Richard Nygaard 15 times a week, (laughs) 15 times a week. That's insane. So 
Uh, some of the other Nygardians, and that's what uh, his patients call themselves, which is kind of weird because when you think about it, like in therapy, it's not like there isn't like there's patient client confidentiality. So for them to be called Nygardians means he has a, he has told people about his group of clients. You know, I like I, if that makes any sense. I don't know if you know what I'm saying. So it's like, yeah, like therapists wouldn't do that. They wouldn't share this information. That's why I did see there was a, there's a, uh, an internet theory that Dr. Richard Nygaard might be a cult leader, which is funny, but it's like, we never see anything like that to prove that. I mean, Chris doesn't do anything like <clears throat> crazy, like it's like drinking the Kool-Aid or whatnot, but <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, we do find out that some of the other night guardians are uh, Shauna Malway Tweep, which makes 1000% sense because she's just such a damaged person. And she is so happy and like just about everything, but her life sucks. Like she just can't catch a break. Like, especially I think she hits rock bottom when she kind of goes to hit on Andy and he turns her down and she just does the talking head. She's like, I can't even land. I can't even land the shoe shine guy, you know? So you feel bad for her there, but it makes sense. Uh, and then also crazy Craig, uh, Billy Eichner's character who Craig, obviously who we meet in season six, uh, the episode doppelgangers. And then he ends up just kind of being a series regular from there, which is great. I like Craig. Craig's another character that a lot of people don't like, kind of like a Mark Brandanowitz, but I always liked him. I mean, there are certain times where it's like, he's a little too much with the yelling and everything, but uh, good character. So yeah, it makes sense too, that he would, he would probably need to talk to someone because he's always just crazy, like up and down. And, um, and then there's, there's another time where Chris is actually talking to someone or someone's giving a presentation and they say something like, Oh, I need to go see Dr. Richard Nygaard. And I believe that's when you first hear him say, Oh, you're a Nygaardian too. So actually there's, there's that way. I mean, these people could find out who else are in our night guardians based on things like that, like them just announcing it to each other and being like, Oh, Hey, I am too. But yeah, it just seems kind of like strange that this many people all know that they have the same therapist. So, um, okay. Moving on. Let's see here. All right. So we're going to talk about, um, Joan Calamezzo and her dislike towards Leslie uh, however, on the flip side, how much she loves Tom. So we'll start with Leslie first in the harvest festival episode where Joan is just like, she wants a scandal. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't care how smoothly this is going. She doesn't want it to go well. She wants there to be a scandal. So, uh, clearly, I mean, this is more like for her show, but also just the way she talks to Leslie, just so like, Oh, I bet these, uh, where are these workers from? Oh, I bet this is Eagleton corn. Um, <clears throat> In the debate episode, when she just keeps specifically disciplining Leslie, you know, all the people are arguing and whatnot, and she's like, "Let's keep this. Let's keep this civil." I'm specifically looking at you, Leslie. Um, there is uh, in season two uh, that when she is interviewing Carl Lorthnew, who's played by uh, Andy Samberg, she's interviewing him because he says he has information about what actually happened when Jerry fell and broke his arm. However, luckily, Leslie gets him to not tell the truth, which is that Jerry fell into the creek because he was fishing out a burrito that he dropped. He told everyone that he got mugged. But uh, Leslie gets him to uh, actually not tell the truth. So when the episode is done, 
Joan comes up to Leslie and she's like, don't you ever boop and sandbag me like that. And Leslie's just like, she cowers. That's the funny thing about it. Like she respects Joan so much, but she's so afraid of her. And she, she really only stands up to her like once or twice, but it's not more like, Oh, shut up, Joan. You know, it's Leslie actually just like kind of coming back with facts that Joan doesn't really have a rebuttal for. And then uh, there's also uh, Joan is the one that kind of, announces it to everyone that Leslie wasn't born in Pawnee, which causes a big deal because she was born in Eagleton and she's the, she keeps like screwing with Leslie with the book, you know, Joan, is it going to get Joan's seal of approval or is it going to get the gotcha, which it gets both actually. So uh, moving on to Joan and Tom. So when uh, Leslie and Ben are trying to promote the Harvest Fest, they go onto her show and Right before that, you see Tom come over and he flirts with her right off the bat. And she's like, well, Tom, I'm already married, you know, but you see that these two have some kind of like a weird like relationship. And it's like, okay, maybe they've hooked up before. Maybe not based on how Tom is, like how pathetic he is. I would say, no, they've probably never hooked up, but he's just, he schmoozes with everyone and never gets anywhere. Also, she again was married at the time. She doesn't seem like someone to me that would be faithful, but who knows? Um, he also flirts with her at the harvest festival. And that is when, and the thing is, it's not just him flirting. It's her like getting really excited about it. And like, you know, coming back, you know, just like Tom, like so flattered, but also like, well, if I wasn't married, kind of one of those things. So yeah, he, he comes up to her and he's just like, Joan, when this is done or, or first, I'd love that. What's even better than the, the, the foot thing. He comes up to her and he's just like, did you have your boobs done? She's just like, yes, thanks for asking. Like, what a weird conversation to see. But then, yeah, right after that, he tells her, he's like, oh, he's like, when this is over, I know you're going to be tired. So I'm going to take your shoes off and I'm going to give you a foot rub to completion. And she's just like, oh, my God, like so excited, you know, and bends off to the side, just like, good Lord. Um, also, at the the Unity concert, when she runs into Tom, she gets super excited. And John actually she starts dancing with John Ralphio. Um, because she's like, is this medium drink of water going to be there? So good. So there's also the time when she goes out to lunch with Tom and Ben and she gets completely hammered and she wants to basically fuck both of them. So they're, uh, they end up, they have to take her home and they, they get her into bed and everything. And it's like, actually she was, she wanted just Tom and Tom gets, uh, uh Ben to just kind of like talk her or, or it's basically just to be a third wheel on purpose. It's like, dude, you can't leave me with her. So she gets, again, she's completely hammered. So they have to like carry her in anyway. So they get away that way. And uh, you also see in uh, the, yeah, the season six finale moving up when she comes into Tom's restaurant, Tom's bistro, she's like super excited. And she's like, Tommy, you know, and he's like, Oh yeah. And she just says, I'll have the Joan, which he already knows what that is, but you know, for us, they have to, she's got to re-announce it. And that's just a, a tumbler of gin with crushed aspirin around the rim. Next up, we got Tom's business ventures slash ideas. All right. So uh, these are the ones actually that kind of, or well, no, I was going to say some of them come to fruition. Most of them don't. But uh, so first off, we got Entertainment 720, which does turn out to be a failure. However, this is the what the company that he starts with John Ralphio, where Man, even after many times of people asking him what this company is, you still don't really know what they do. However, they do like some media. They, they make like the little Sebastian video and stuff. But other than that, they just 
keep putting out swag with their logo on it until they go broke, essentially. And then they have a ridiculous party at the end, which is an awesome episode and it's an awesome party, but it doesn't make any sense based on how much money they had. So um, I've talked about that many times. It's just something that I always thought was kind of dumb about the party. They just made it too extravagant or they could have just said like, because what what happens is when the company's done, they have like $10,000 left. You know, they each got five grand. So they spend it on this party that, like on paper, I mean, watching this thing, this party probably costs like, you know, 200 grand, 250, something like that. So it doesn't make sense. If they would have just said they had a little more money, it would have been like, okay. However, further down the road, when you see um, Roy Hibbert, who's at this party later on, you find out Tom still owes him money. Who knows what it's for, but this could be it. So maybe that's how they had this party is they just didn't pay for stuff. And you also find out that Tom uh, when they go camping and he buys all the stuff from Sky Mall, he just cries to get like his money back. So maybe that's that's maybe it was just shady like that. So anyway, Entertainment 720 um, uh, was the one. Uh, Rent a Swag, which is the company he started on his own. And I'm sorry, no, no, it wasn't on his own. He it was originally with John Ralphio, but then he kind of kicked John Ralphio out. But Rent a Swag turned out to be kind of a, a moderate success where he was just renting out his clothes to. Uh, teens and tweens because Tom is obviously a very small man. And this was a great idea. I like that even Ben, you know, who, when he originally read the thing for it, he was expecting it to suck. And he's just like, that's actually a pretty, or, or when Tom told him about it, he's like, that's actually a very good idea. Uh, so that one, you know, he makes a profit on that. He ends up selling it. He doesn't want to, but he has to because he gets basically run out of town by <laughs> Uh, John Ralphio and Mona Lisa's dad, Dr. Saperstein. And just the best thing about it, because he opens up a clothing store that is exactly like Rent-A-Swag, but I just love that it's called Tommy's Closet. <laughs> it's just such a slap in the face, like middle finger to this guy. Uh, all right, so then uh, his most successful business venture is Tom's Bistro. That does go under also, but that's also because you find out in season seven that the world had a meat shortage which is just kind of scary to think about. And this show predicted so many things. So I'm guessing that someday there will be a meat shortage and we'll run out of cows or beef or whatever. But uh, Tom's Bistro, and the, the thing that's great about this and another kind of callback to Tom's Bistro is that in like season three, he did, when he's just another time when he's just listing off his different business ideas, one of them is that he wants to open... Um, a, a classy bistro called Tom's Bistro. And then sure enough, like three seasons later, we actually see this happen. So that was pretty sweet. But yeah, Tom's Bistro ends up being a hit and he actually uh, franchises a little bit, but then it, uh, again, the, the beef shortage kind of uh, <laughs> killed his restaurant. All right. So some of these ones are more just uh, some of his popular, uh, you know, like as far as the fans go, like the ones that he came up with that he would just, cause Tom would just announce business things all the time. So you had uh, eclipse, which was uh, a bar that he wanted to open that would actually only be open uh, two times a year for one hour. That would be during the clips and the cover charge would be $5,000. There is uh, Tommy fresh, which was the cologne that he, uh, he created and he wanted to do business with Dennis Feinstein. Uh, Feinstein got a whiff of it and left. Tom basically out of the place, told him it was terrible. Even Ben smelled it as well, and he thought it was awful. Uh, the Snake Hole Lounge, actually, I mean, he didn't create that, but he did buy into it, and he was a partner for a little bit. And he also did create Snake Juice, so that was pretty sweet. Um, no Yaboo, the dating game that he created, which was actually just 
a ripoff of the dating game. But uh, this is the episode where he inadvertently gets Andy and April to fight, which uh, an episode I don't like from them to actually more Andy. It's just, uh, again, I talk about it all the time, how how childish April is, but there's the episodes too when Andy can act like that. And it's just, it's just as annoying because they're just so childish. Um, and then some of the other ones that he just kind of says in passing that never actually come to fruition are uh, contact lenses that display text messages, sparkle suds, which is a detergent with glitter in it, and then LASIK for fingernails so that you never have to cut them again. So there are many more for Tom, like the ones that he just lifts off in those scenes, but I'm not going to – I didn't put every single one of them down, obviously. So, um, all right, so we have one more, and I told you we were going to come back to Donna. So outside of Donna's crazy family – there is also Donna's mysterious life. So Donna drives a Mercedes-Benz ML350 SUV, which, okay, it's not like that's like, whoa, how could she afford that? But it's just, it is kind of weird with her just being like a, a you know, a, a government city employee, like kind of low level parks and rec, um, whatever the hell Donna does there for her to have that car. So and they, they kind of put it into context when the, there's the episode that starts off when Ben is telling everyone that they have to park in the street. And she's like, I'm not parking my Mercedes there. And Ben's like, well, why? I, I park out there. And she's like, well, yeah, but no one's going to steal a Saturn. So Ben clearly has like a higher position than her and probably makes more money than her. I'm not trying to, I mean, I might be completely wrong. I'm just going by context. But the fact that, yeah, he has like just a kind of a, a beater not a beater, but like a regular sedan. And she's got this Mercedes SUV. It's like, okay, like how, what is she, how did, how does she afford that? Um, she has had two annulments. You find out in the second Galentine's day episode who these men are, who knows? Cause you do meet Joe, but I don't remember. I don't think she was ever married to Joe. No, they, they just dated for a bit and she didn't like him because he was too nice. So uh, in the, the animal control episode, when, Ben, Tom, and Andy go out to lunch with Dennis Feinstein when they're trying to get him to be uh, like a charitable donor for their their new project. You see Donna sitting at a table with like much younger men and she's just smoke like puffing. Man, maybe not much younger men, but just like a couple couple dudes. And they're all like very close to her. So clearly she's like the main attraction there, but she's smoking a cigar and they just walk by and they're like, Donna? And she just kind of nods at him, but it's like, that's all you get no context, like why she's there or whatever. Like she's a VIP at this place. It's not Snake Hole either, which she actually is uh, an owner of as well. Uh, when Tom had to sell his shares back, Donna didn't because she wasn't stupid like Tom and she didn't like announce it to the world. So uh, there's also that about her. She has a condo in Seattle, which that kind of comes out of nowhere. And Seattle comes into play later on in the series in the final episode when you do see that she finally moved to condo, but uh, to condo to Seattle. Uh, you do hear earlier on, though, that, yeah, she has a condo in Seattle and she loves it out there because she loves the fish market. She uh, speaks fluent French, which it, I'm, that, that's not like crazy or anything, but it's still just like, OK, that's awesome. Most people who, you know, most Americans don't speak French. So that's pretty sweet. Um, she started the door knockers earring trend. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but it sounds like it, it's something. And I bet I could Google it. And I totally forgot to, as I'm getting to it right now, it's like, shit, I probably should have Googled that, but I didn't. So she started it. Uh, she came in ninth in Italy's Got Talent, which is obviously 
you know, the Italian version of America's Got Talent. She served on a NASCAR pit crew, which is great because when I think of that, I, I watched the Office episode. Uh, sorry to jump over to that show real quick. Uh, the episode the other day when Nellie was talking about how she actually wound up or she's telling a story and she's like, and that's how I wound up driving two laps like in a, in a like an Indy 500 or a NASCAR thing. I forgot. She's like, they were the two slowest laps ever recorded. But I just love the story she's telling that ends with her like, and that's how I ended up in a NASCAR, you know, car and drove a couple laps. But um, and then um, also in the Galentine's Day episode, I, I think it's the second one when they're out to dinner, she's like, Oh, or she tells them that she's always got men in rotation and that a guy's sitting in the car waiting for her. And they all look at her. She's like, don't worry. I got the windows down. So Donna has like some kind of like power over men. I mean, like they love her, you know, you, you see in the, in the, the debate episode that she was about to hook up with councilman Hauser, but she had to leave to help Andy in April. And just like the uh, Robert Mathis, the, the Indianapolis Colts player, when he walks by Donna and he's like, what's up girl. And she's like, keep walking. And you know, Ben's like, what are you talking? That's an NFL player. And she's like, yeah, position players only for Donna Beagle. So she has, she doesn't care. This guy's like a millionaire and whatnot, but it's like, nah, Donna doesn't want that dude. So move along. Uh, so it's great. So that is the list that I have for you this week with uh, some of the running jokes. Again, uh, if if you're wondering why Burt Macklin's not on there or Duke Silver or, you know, some of the other really popular ones, go back to episode 46 and listen to that one. And it, it, I have so many more on there and there's so many more that I still haven't even listed. So who knows? There might be a, uh, a part three to this coming out uh, one of these days. But um, thank you so much. For hanging out and listening and if you'd like to contact me or the show citizens at gmail.com is how you can do that you can also like and follow on instagram at citizens of Pawnee podcast and at parks rec memes if you like horror movies and media please check out my other podcast that i host with my sister called horror copia podcast give us a follow on instagram at hcopia underscore podcast again thank you for listening to citizens of pawnee a parks and recreation podcast my name is brian and i'll see you soon the city councilor that Leslie replaced was Councilman Pilner.